Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast covering your favorite crew featuring Peter and David Goh. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go, alongside David Go, our co-host. I'm back after a couple episodes off. Excited to be back and cover some off-season news. Not exactly uh, big news by any means, but good to, good to cover it. Uh, talk about some potential targets at first base, which is really the biggest question mark um, as far as positions go for the Brewers. Uh, anything you want to cover, David, before uh, we get into it? Yeah, I'd say just kind of the smallest news. I'll just get a little bit, uh, get out of the way. Uh, but Ray Montgomery, who was their former scouting director early on in Stern's tenure, he's worked as uh, more of an advisor level position in the front office. He actually left to go to the Angels. Not exactly sure in what capacity, but he follows Perry Manesian there, who's their GM. Uh, Manesian's brother, Zach, actually uh, worked in the Brewers front office for a while. So possible connection there. Interesting. Yeah. And of course, not talked about like players, but Front office guys, of course, as we all know, make a huge impact. Uh, I think, obviously, overall, Brewers fans are pretty happy with Stearns, but it goes past Stearns as well. So a loss for the Brewers, uh, Ray Montgomery, who held a pretty a pretty big role for the Brewers. Interesting to see. Presumably uh, got a raise from the Angels. Uh, but, yeah, it's just part of the competitive nature of baseball. And especially lately, it seems like the front office competition has potentially increased as well uh, since – sort of the money ball era, I guess. Or maybe that's just mm-hmm. me. me. <laughs> no, I, I think that's the case. And also there are a lot more front office workers and they put more value on them. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think it's 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 different and they're maybe easy to, easier to quantify now that they have a lot of data so they can see more so what sure. the front office uh, workers were looking at when they made an acquisition uh, versus it might have just been scouting. Uh, but yeah, I think that overall plays a role uh, in the number of, front office workers that leave and go to different positions. And I also think actually that part of it is because they start their careers younger rather than a 35, 40 year old ex-major leaguer uh, getting into the front office or even in scouting. Now we're seeing uh, 25 year old Ivy League graduates in front offices. Uh, That's really a a 10, 15 year difference that could also play a big role in that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the career trajectory has changed a lot, uh, especially given the last, especially over the last 20 years. But nonetheless, Brewers uh, losing Ray Montgomery to the Angels. So uh, some minor news there. And kind of while we're talking about it, uh, maybe we want to go into a couple of free agent signings that the Brewers have made as well recently. Yeah, a few minor league free agent signings, actually. They have not signed a major league free agent outside of Luke Maley, actually, um, but not one that is projected to be, I would say, on the opening day roster. And the four minor league signings that they made were Hobie Milner, Dylan Cousins, Dustin Peterson and Luis Perdomo. All of them have seen actually time in the major leagues, uh, but none really significant time, I would say, or have made a really big impact. Hobie Milner uh, was is a left-handed reliever, sidearm, kind of like Alex Claudio, but with a little bit less of a track record at the major league level and comes at a, a lower price, of course, than Claudio. Claudio actually signed with the Angels, so he, I guess, followed Montgomery there. Not sure if that was <laughs> part of his rationale, uh, but he ended up going there. Milner debuted in 2017 with the Phillies and was pretty successful in 37 games, 2.01 ERA. Strikeout and walk numbers weren't great, 6.3 strikeouts per nine, 4.6 walks per nine, but he is a guy who will induce soft contact more than anything, kind of like Claudio. Milner then uh, did not have a great year in 18, split time between the Phillies and Rays, and really didn't pitch much at the major league level. 
was with the Rays uh, a little bit more the following year until being with the Angels. So I guess uh, the Claudio for Milner swap indirectly, um, kind of going back to the comparison. Yeah, I think that represents just a lot of what we're seeing in the offseason across Major League Baseball, the cutting payroll, uh, cutting costs from teams, especially we talked about this earlier, the smaller market like the Brewers, having to be willing to cut costs. And is Milner uh, as good as Claudio? Not that Claudio's amazing, but Claudio's shown a better track record. So yeah, I, Claudio's the better pitcher, but like you said, comes at a much lower price tag. Interesting to Milner, um, that good good year in 2017 that he had, um, hasn't pitched uh, combined from 2018 through 2020, combined has pitched less major league innings than 2017. So interesting to see if Milner will be able to pull out that good 2017 year and make some sort of impact in the Brewers' bullpen this year. Mm -hmm. And it is important to note that he was pretty successful at the AAA levels in both uh, 2018 and 19. So maybe there is a little bit more talent there that the Brewers think they can tap into. The Brewers, of course, are excellent with unconventional lefties. Suter is un pretty unconventional. Leo Crawford, the guy that we talked about last week uh, that the Brewers had acquired for Knable, he's a little bit unconventional. Even like Brett Anderson. I, I was going to say Brian Schaus. Yeah, Schaus. Uh, Mitch, Mitch Stetter. Yeah, a little bit before Stern's time. But the Brewers are big into acquiring unconventional lefties. Uh, even Angel Perdomo, a reliever, is yep. about six foot eight. Uh, so comes from an interesting arm slot there. So Milner kind of fits that profile, and we'll see if the Brewers are able to maybe tap into a little bit of the talent and the funkiness in his delivery. Dylan Cousins uh, actually spent time with the Phillies originally two in 2018. Uh, was not successful there, hit just 158. Uh, but he has been pretty good in the minor leagues. Poor 2019 showing, although uh, was injury riddled throughout the year. Um, 2018 had a, a pretty solid year in AAA. He's a corner outfielder, bigger guy, got um, pretty good walk numbers and decent power. Uh, so maybe the Brewers can tap into that a little bit more. He seems like more of some depth in AAA, maybe kind of a 4A guy that you uh, see kind of rake in AAA, but not play well really at the major league level. I'll be curious to see if the Brewers are able to give him opportunity because it doesn't seem like there's a ton of it, a ton of openings there, especially if Braun comes back. Council really didn't seem optimistic about Braun returning for 2021, but of course that remains to be seen. Uh, but the Brewers do have Yelich, Kane, and Garcia, not to mention Tyrone Taylor. Corey Ray, I would think, will be in the major leagues this year at some point. So it's a little bit more difficult to see Cousins making an impact at the major league level, especially being a corner outfielder and not having that versatility up in center. Yeah, I agree. With with those five outfielders you mentioned, I don't see a, a, a whole lot of potential for opportunity for Cousins, and more likely that we see a scenario where he spends most of the year in AAA. Yeah, and then the third minor league signing that the Brewers made was Dustin Peterson. Uh, Peterson is a corner infielder and a little bit in the corner outfield too. He's actually a second round pick seven years ago of the Padres. Uh, so back in 2013, and he's 26 years old. Peterson steadily worked his way up through the minors. Originally was with the Padres and then was traded to Atlanta. Um, I believe that was in the Craig Kimbrell trade. Uh, that was already, wow, that was already five, six years ago. Wow. Uh, does not feel like that long ago. But Peterson worked his way through, made his debut briefly with the Braves, and then spent a little bit of time with the Tigers in 2019. Again, not very successful, but only played in 17 games, so a little bit hard to draw conclusions from that. He's played really well so far this offseason in the Mexican League. Um, in a winter league, has hit 11 home runs and just 150 at-bats, hit 316, 
course, it's a lower level league, but it still is a winter league that he's performing in. So potentially he's found something, a second gear. Maybe the Brewers like that and the Brewers are looking at that and that's the rationale behind the signing. Yeah, is uh, just for, for the listeners out there, Mexican Winter League, are we talking AAA level, AA level? I would probably compare it somewhere in between high A and double A. Um, you probably will see maybe a few major leaguers in it. Uh, a lot of, not surprisingly, a lot of Mexicans are in it and they play in the Mexican League during the season and then in the Mexican Winter League in the off season. Didn't Was that the league uh, Guerra pitched in one of the off seasons? Um, I believe that Junior Guerra did. Junior Guerra, I mean, chances are if there's a league, Junior Guerra pitched in it. Um, I, I am pretty sure that he did pitch in that one. Uh, but Guerra did pitch actually in Italy too. I know he pitched in the Dominican Winter League, Venezuela. Uh, so all over. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are other brewers who have been in that league. And actually the brewer signed a partnership with the Brisbane Bandits of the Australian Baseball League, which is going on right now. So I think about five players, including a, a pitching coach actually, who's helping coach that team um, are with the the ball club right now, the Brisbane Bandits. And the either the general manager or the owner, I forget which position it is, uh, but for that team is Dave Nilsson, former Brewers catcher. Oh yeah. So that's where the partnership started. And it seems like kind of a, a logical partnership where the Brewers will then send a few players there each year to play in the Winter League. It's not super uncommon. Most recent example I can think of of a Brewer going down there is Tucker Newhouse. I don't know if you remember him. I think he was about a fifth round pick in 2012, maybe. I remember watching him play, though. Uh, and there have been some other future major leaguers who have played there. It's more of a common destination for minor leaguers to play there in the winter. And then finally, Luis Perdomo uh, was a minor league signing. He's a little, probably the, I would say the biggest name. He's pitched almost 500 innings at the major league level, coming with the Padres primarily. And he actually underwent Tommy John surgery recently. So he will miss the whole 2021 season. Uh, so presumably a contract that spans at least two years so they can have him beyond 2021. Uh, Perdomo was pretty good earlier on in his career. 5.71 ERA is not great, uh, but had overall pretty good ground ball numbers. Uh, okay strikeout rates, but he keeps the ball down and is able to limit the walks. So that has overall helped him in his success at the major league level. And he had a 4.67 ERA in 29 starts in 2017. Uh, became a, actually a qualifier for the ERA title. So 163 innings, kind of an innings eater at the back end of the rotation. Hasn't been as successful as of late and, of course, suffered the injury. Uh, but we'll see if Perdomo can make an impact, not even in 2021, but in 2022. Seems like if he is going to make an impact, it will be more as, as a long reliever. Maybe some starting depth, uh, but kind of a, a solid guy who can go two, three innings in some lower leverage situations. Or maybe even he comes back from Tommy John surgery stronger. Yeah. That's always a possibility. So we'll see about that. But that was the fourth signing for the Brewers um, on the minor league side in the past week. Yeah, Perdomo definitely comes with a stronger resume than the, the other players you talked about. Uh, even 2019, uh, in 47 games for him, like you said, mainly out of the, out of the pen there. But overall, performed pretty well. 3.6 FIP and a 4 ERA. So nothing too special. Uh, interesting to see, like you said, how he will uh, return from Tommy John. Big question mark there, and Brewer's taking a little bit of a risk, but not a significant financial, um, I guess you could say, investment into Perdomo. Uh, but we'll see in 2020, uh, 2022, that will be, um, if he can make an impact for the Brewers. Mm -hmm. And Matt Vesgersian actually would be happy because there are fours everywhere, 4.44 FIP in 444 innings um, for any of the MLB The Show fans out there that, that might appreciate that. 
Oh yeah, yeah. that is Vazgersian. Yeah, he yeah. is. It's Vazgersian with uh, DeRosa and former Brewer Dan Plesak who do the announcing for MLB The Show, the video game. I feel like that's uh, something they could probably improve. Like, you think about, like, the graphics and how far they've come along. Sometimes I kind of wonder why they still have, like, programmed the same sayings, like, over and over. If you've played played, uh, MLB The Show more than once, you've probably already caught on to, like, a bunch of the same phrases. My favorite was uh, Dan Plesak came and filled in for Bill Schroeder in the Brewers broadcast booth in 2019, I think it was. And Matt Elbers got a big out. I think it was in like the 10th inning. Keep the game scoreless. As Elbers was walking off the field, Plesak uh, said that Elbers walked off looking like he just stepped in a big old bucket of sassy. Uh, Whatever that means, I don't really know. Uh, But after that, they started incorporating that in the MLB The Show broadcasts. So really? Yeah, so MLB The Show must have um, found that. Yeah, yeah, and then been able to either record it or have him record it and incorporated it. So that was actually kind of cool, I would say. Because he doesn't Um, normally do games uh, on a regular basis, right? No, he was filling in for Bill Schroeder. They'll have that occasionally. Um, So it was Anderson and Plesak. Yeah. Um, And actually, before we forget, we're already almost halfway into the episode, but we forgot to go over the trivia question. If you want to give our listeners the trivia question for today. Yeah, kind of a unique question today. Uh, Who Can you name the Brewers owners through the years? So starting in 1970 when the Brewers uh, switched over from the Seattle Pilots so be thinking about that. Uh, can you name the owners? And we'll even put it in uh, chronological order to make sure that to make it a little bit tougher for David. So as always, answer at the end of the podcast. Um, but again, name the Brewers owners through the years. So moving on from the Brewers minor league free agent signings uh, to some baseball news. Uh, MLB announcing that they would be elevating all Negro League stats uh, to incorporate them with all other major league stats. So interesting news from baseball. Uh, a lot of people saying that well past due for the time to do it but for those of you that didn't hear that's interesting news um and effectively all neuro league statistics will now be treated uh equally along with all major league stats and merging players as well um so some interesting news as well any thoughts on that david i thought it was long overdue of course it's easier said than done um and there is still a little bit of pushback actually barack obama even applauded mlb on doing it or uh, he applauded the mlb um which (laughs) bothers me because you wouldn't say the major league baseball like you would say um the nba anyways though um i thought that it was a good move i mean of course the players were excluded uh, from being able to play in like major league baseball in the american league or the national league so i think that's what makes it different it makes a difference and it's not the only league that's been elevated to major league status at some point i think that a lot of people don't realize that the federal league in 1914 and 15 that was um, that was elevated to major league status. I think in '68. It's a long time ago. Um, Mordecai Three Finger Brown, for example, he played in the Federal League for a couple of years. Interesting. So his stats from those years are um, are accumulated with his major league stats. Nobody put up a fuss about that. And actually, even Wrigley Field was built in 1914 for the Chicago Whales of the Federal League. So they, it wasn't even originally built for the Cubs, and the Cubs ended up using it in 1916 after the Chicago Whales and the Federal League as a whole went out of business. Uh, but even before that, the American Association, I think between 1884 and 1898, something like that. Um, so that featured teams like, I know the Louisville Colonels were in it. I want to say the Providence Grays were also a team in there. I think Onus Wagner actually might have gotten his start there. Um, Chicken Wolf played for the Louisville <laughs> Colonels, I know. Chicken Wolf on the Louisville yeah. Colonels. Love yeah. that. 
Uh, Only so, in baseball. Uh-huh. So uh, some other leagues there, a couple like early in the late 19th century, um, were major league status at some point. Uh, but this doesn't cover every single Negro League. It covers, I think there are seven different leagues that were up until 1948 uh, that they elevated to the status. So like, for example, um, Hank Aaron, his stats with the Indianapolis Clowns, those do not count as major league designation because they came in 52 after integration. Um, that would have really been incredible if he had hit eight, you know, eight home runs with the Indianapolis Clowns and yeah. it had counted and he became the all-time home run leader. That's not the case, I would say. Unfortunately, um, that would have caused <laughs> quite the stir. That would have been that would have added a whole other layer to yeah. it. Yeah, he um, he actually only hit five home runs though, and that was in '52, like I'd mentioned. But even Willie Mays, he probably will have an extra home run added onto his total. Um, they're trying to confirm that that home run actually happened, but that would push him up to 661, which for a sport that's built on numbers does make a difference even if it might be extremely minimal but i think it is important to recognize not only the stats but even that these players were major league players it's um it's i think it's different and and oh. yeah they were at the top of their game i mean like you said of course during the time they didn't have the ability to play in the major league baseball in the mid there i just did it <laughs> in major league baseball but uh that was that was that was the major league level for them and unfortunately that's the way that it was and i think it is it is the right way to do it um and it's good that major league that the major league baseball has decided to, to finally do that mm -hmm. a question that's been asked a lot has been does that mean that josh gibson is now the all-time home run leader which i think is a valid question but these games include like the official league play so many of those home runs that he hit were in barnstorming games with uh with teams that weren't like official negro league teams so i would say that's kind of similar to like if the yankees played games against you know the columbus clippers or a minor league team like that so he has i think 230 something career home runs according to the negro league records and stats that they have and they're going to continue to do research but i don't imagine gibson ever eclipsing barry bond's 762 home runs but there are some single season batting average records that it'll be interesting to look at because like Gibson in 42 hit over 400 and he only had about 280 plate appearances, but he did um, eclipse the number of uh, plate appearances per game, 3.1. So I guess we're gonna, kind of getting into semantics here, but officially the only qualifying, uh, the only qualifier is that a player must have played 3.1 plate appearances per game for the games that their team played and Gibson accomplished that. So does that make Josh Gibson the most recent major league 400 hitter? Yeah. Um, and even some of the guys in all time batting average now are right up there with some of the all time greats. So that is something to see. I would say it's more so interesting to see how the fans recognize that and how that, that would be. Um, and just for the Milwaukee connection, in 1923, the Milwaukee Bears played as part of one of the Negro Leagues. I don't remember exactly which league. Um, that's the only team that was part of the Negro Leagues from Milwaukee. But you might see the Brewers honor that maybe this upcoming year. And they have in the past some by wearing the Negro League throwback. So I think that's kind of a cool tribute. And of course, a couple years from now, we'll see the 100th anniversary of that. And I would think the Brewers would maybe do at least a little bit to honor that in light of the anniversary and in light of the increased significance and awareness of the Negro Leagues this year. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So and the Brewers, you know, the Brewers do love their anniversaries. We all know that. <laughs> but uh, moving on from uh, from MLB news over to back to the Brewers and looking at the Brewers offseason plans. Biggest question mark uh, over for the Brewers is first base. Of course, Brewers choosing to sign Dan Vogelbach 
or to bring him back after a, a brief stint with the Brewers last year, and opting to let Jed Jerko uh, walk free into free agency. So who are some potential targets uh, that the Brewers could sign as free agents, and do you see the Brewers making a move to add a first baseman? I definitely see it as a possibility. Um, one target that I would um, that I would not recommend is Justin Smoke. Um, yes. He is, I believe he is available, but hopefully the Brewers don't bring back Smoke. Um, I don't think they would, but I feel like that'd be kind of an outside-the-box Stearns thing to do. A few free agent targets at first base that I've kind of looked at as maybe more possibilities would be Mitch Moreland and Eric Thames. Of course, Thames being a familiar face, uh, both in their mid-30s actually, but both um, have had reasonable amounts of success at the major league level. We've basically seen the success that Thames has had. With the Brewers, he didn't have a great year in Washington last year, but neither did a lot of players with the unusual setup of the year and build up going into the start of the season. Moreland didn't have a great year either, actually, uh, but he has seen a reasonable amount of success in past years. I think he was an all-star a few years ago. Good defender at first base also. The only thing is the two of them are left-handed hitters, so if they do keep Vogelbach, he also is a left-handed hitter, wouldn't necessarily pair the best. And I really actually think that the best option is Jed Jerko, which the Brewers let him walk four and a half million dollar option and they bought it out for a million. I thought that paying the three and a half million difference would have really been worth it, especially because Jerko can play some at third base. That would have helped a lot to solve another issue to the puzzle. We don't really know what they're going to do at third base. They could have Urias play there. I would really not be in favor of that. Yeah. Urias is a middle infielder and he doesn't really hit like a third baseman. So I would I would not be in favor of that proposition. Yeah, you talk about a Brewers infield that would be Dan Vogelbach, Keston Hira, Orlando RC and Uri excuse me, Luis Urias. Uh yeah, that doesn't sound like a very good team. Um, I, I totally 100% agree with Jerko. Uh, we talked about this a, a fair amount of episodes ago, but when the Brewers decided to let him go, I, I thought Jerko was was the guy that fit the puzzle perfectly, like you said. Can play first, can play third, right-handed bat that complements Vogelbach. I think everything pointed to the Brewers keeping Jerko, and at the end of the day, I think it was just a cost-cutting measure that they felt they couldn't afford another $3.5 million on the books for a player like Jerko. Yeah, Stearns even alluded to the possibility of bringing him back. Now, we don't know if Jerko would want to come back because we saw that with Thames. Thames was a little bit upset, and rightfully so, when they declined his option two years ago. Jerko could have felt the same way. It's also possible that Jerko said, look, it's a business, yeah. and if they give me the best offer even after this, I'll take it. So Stearns said that it still is a possibility that they bring him back even though they did decline his option. Yeah, the Brewers aren't the only team struggling financially as well, so maybe Jerko doesn't see as much of a market this offseason and maybe the Brewers do snag him for only a couple million dollars and, and do save some money. So ultimately, we'll see, but like we both have said, I, I think it would have made a ton of sense for the Brewers to bring back Judd Jerko. So we talked about a couple of potential free agent targets. Do you see any potential first baseman that the Brewers could be targeting via trade? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, there are some that like reporters have pegged that there is definitive interest in. We mentioned Jock Peterson a few episodes ago. Peterson did not look good at first base when he played there. I don't know if the Brewers would plan on having Peterson play first base, but it's, it's possible. Um, but one guy that I think actually would fit in well with the Brewers is Jake Bowers. Bowers is a, a former top 100 prospect, hasn't really gained his footing at the major league level. 2018 with the Rays, he was just a little bit below average of a hitter. 
had a little bit of value and you could definitely see the upside but unfortunately the batting average was low at 201 it was with the indians in 2019 and got a fair amount of playing time again wasn't really that successful but the talent is there um, in his hitting so i think that bowers has some untapped potential perhaps a change of scenery again would benefit him didn't really hear much about him at the alternate training site. I was actually trying to find if we could hear any scouting reports or anything on maybe adjustments that he made, but there was really nothing that I could find on Bowers. This is just pure speculation on my part of uh, me bringing up Bowers, but I think that that could be a move that Stearns could make should the Brewers um, look for a young first baseman who doesn't really have a track record, going to buy low on his stock since his stock is down right now. I'm just kind of throwing this out as a possibility. Yeah, sounds a lot like a Luis Urias type player, top former top 100, hasn't really uh, shown in any success in the major league level, but still has some potential as well. Uh, and like you said, stock is low, uh, could be a potential trade target, certainly um, just purely speculation at this point. And what kind of assets would you see the Brewers giving up for a guy like Bowers? I think actually a legitimate possibility could be giving up a player like Arcia. I would think the Brewers would probably get Bowers and then maybe a player to be named later or something else uh, in that scenario because trading Arcia, even though he did have a pretty productive year last year, would clear the position for Luis Urias to come in and play short. And then with Keston at second, I think that that would uh, make things a little bit clearer and provide the Brewers with a first baseman. And if they can give him at-bats, I think that he could be a pretty good player, especially left-handed hitter at Miller Park we like to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, or maybe American Family Field, I guess. Oh, Got to enjoy Miller Park while it lasts. We've got 10 days left until the official name change, and we probably will keep saying Miller Park yeah, for Yeah, mark, mark your time. calendars on that one. Yeah. Um, but Bowers is only 25, perhaps some untapped upside, like we mentioned with some of the minor league signings. But he'd be kind of a low-cost, low-risk um, acquisition. For the crew if they do decide to go that route yeah i i certainly like like the option of bowers and as you said purely speculation but i i see a lot of sense in the brewers looking at a guy like bowers the brewers i mean i i think it's fair to say desperately need some help on, on the corner infield it would be somewhat embarrassing to enter the season with a depth chart full of dan vogelbach and luis urias at the corner infield yeah i would not be very happy with that mark matthias maybe yeah especially yeah. I, I i in christian yelich is here like it's to me, just a waste to, I know yeah. that there's financial constraints. It's a business. I understand all of that. And you have Christian Yelich in his prime, Brandon Woodruff coming off a great year, I mean, Corbin Burns in the bullpen. Yelich played first base for his travel high school team, actually. So perhaps stick Yelich at first base. There we base. go. And then Braun Nitty comes back, throw <laughs> yeah. back in the outfield. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I don't think that we're going to see that. Actually, fun fact, Yelich played travel ball with Nolan Arenado. Oh, that's right. Um, I so they were on. The, I think they were on the same team. Yeah. Arenado at third and Yelich at first. Talk about good corner infield um, as opposed Decent. to what the Brewers have right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the Brewers do need to address that. Stearns made it sound like they will address it at some point in the offseason. And I certainly hope it's not in the form of a, a minor league free agent signing or anything <laughs> like that because I could see that happening. But I mean, last year we did see them make a few signings like four days in a row. I think it was yeah. Ryan Healy, who actually signed with the Hanwha Eagles in the KBO last week. Jerko was there too, right? In that yeah, Jerko, yeah. Um, Brett Anderson, I think, Justin Smoke. Yep. So they did make a number of acquisitions in a row. It's possible that we see the Brewers do that again this year, hopefully, because the Brewers do need to add a little bit to their ball club, especially 
since the NL Central is wide open. The Cubs are kind of up in the air, not really sure what they're going to look like this year and especially beyond. Yeah. Reds are cutting payroll big time right now. Cardinals haven't really done anything to improve their ball club, which it doesn't really seem like they have in a while. They've just kind yeah. of been an okay team. Pirates, of course, are among the worst teams in baseball. The division's really up for grabs. Yeah, I think uh, everybody's going through financial constraints, but I also see this as a potential opportunity if the Brewers can swing something where they're able to take advantage of, like you said, Reds aggressively cutting payroll and other teams doing that. I think it provides the opportunity for a team to buckle down, potentially spend a little bit more money than other teams are willing to right now and have a shot at winning a division or even further going uh, deep into the playoffs. So I see it also as an opportunity while other teams are aggressively trying to cut payroll and cut costs. Yeah, and of course I'm not the one writing the checks out uh, to players and for the payroll, but I would agree with you. I think that that could be a route that could benefit the Brewers, especially coming off the heels of three straight postseason bursts. Square in Yelich's prime, we've got Woodruff and Burns, you had mentioned that before, and not wanting to waste that. You've got a good core. If they spend 10, 15 million on the rest of the club, yeah. I think they could be going into the year the best team in the NL Central. Yeah, certainly. And and obviously, let's just hope that uh, everything is closest to back to normal next year as far as fans and attendance for baseball games as well, which certainly would bode well for the Brewers' financial position. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So there's the uh, news update on the Brewers' uh, offseason here from 2020 to 2021 season. A uh, couple potential targets at first base as well. And David, why don't you take it away for the random player of the day today? Today's random player of the day is Yadiel Rivera, a name that probably more many of the more recent fans remember. Uh, light hitting utility infielder. He overall had a pretty good, um, pretty good upside. I think defensively he always was good, but the bat never really developed. He has spent the most time in his major league career actually with the Marlins in 2018. He played in 111 games, 160 plate appearances only though, and slugged 216. Um, we're looking at Colin Walsh levels here, <laughs> um, 485 OPS. He played with the Rangers for four games this year, 0 for 5, <laughs> so um, only one strikeout though, so I guess he did put the ball in play four times. It put the ball in play, <laughs> good <laughs> Yeah, well, unfortunately, good things didn't happen for Yadiel Rivera, but just kind of depth at this point. Yeah, surprised um, that he's actually still still in the major leagues and has been uh, in and out for most of the, the years following his departure from the Brewers. I feel like Colin Walsh makes an appearance in like every other episode. <laughs> I just want Colin Walsh to make an appearance. I, I enjoy talking about Colin Walsh. <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, Yadiel Rivera, uh, utility man for the Brewers. He, he was actually a decent prospect, top 100, if I recall. I don't think quite there. I think okay. he, but I think he was, because the Brewers farm system was so bad <laughs> back in those days. That's right. Under Bruce side. That was when everyone was like really excited. Well, because Bradley and Youngman didn't turn out. I yep. think he was in that draft, actually. The the farm system was not great. So That's Rivera, I it. think, yeah, I think Rivera was more heralded uh, among Brewer fans because they're like, oh, we have a guy <laughs> who could make the major leagues possibly. Um, so that's kind of where the excitement came from. He was in the Rising Stars game. There we go. Actually. Oh, that's and, right. Oh, that was 2011. So maybe he was drafted earlier, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, Rivera. I still have the uh, the bat that Yadiel Rivera gave me. Broken bat. Tossed it over the dugout. I, I don't know. I was a kid at the game. Um, and uh, eventually got him to sign the bat. So there's oh, my... Along with, uh, what, Victor Roche, Jimmy oh, yeah. Nelson. Oh, yeah. Clint All Holter. the Brewers' top prospects. Yeah. 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 And I think... Burgos. Hero yeah. Burgos. Yeah. 
Um, Nelson yeah. and Hanniger are the only ones who yeah, really ended up. Although if you think about it, real those, well, Nelson's career, of course, true. Injuries, but and Hanniger, Mitch Hanniger turned out yeah. pretty good. Well, career. he's been hampered on with injuries. Too. That's right. That's right. So yeah, both of them hampered with injuries, but. Uh, either way, Brewers, great farm system <laughs> during that time. Good memories there as a Brewer fan. So going back to our trivia question, David, can you name the Brewers owners through the years in chronological order? Uh, yeah, that's not really that difficult, I guess, at least in my opinion. And of course, we're talking about like the, the chairman or the principal owner. Um, Bud Selig was the one who was the chairman of the Brewers when he brought them to Milwaukee. I don't know who all of the Brewers like part owners were. I could probably name a couple of them like Edmund um, Fitzgerald was one of them, and um, Frederick Miller, I think. He also was a part owner. I think Robert Baer and Anthony Ressler were also a part of the, the Seelig group that bought, brought the Brewers to, to Milwaukee in, in 1970. Yeah, so I know Seelig was initially, and then he was the owner of the Brewers, but then he became the commissioner of baseball, and he was officially interim commissioner between 92 and 98. So he was still like really the owner of the Brewers. He just officially didn't have a say in the club, even though everybody knew that he did. And, and then, and why did he take over for uh, interim commissioner during that time? Um, that was under Faye Vincent. Vincent was doing a horrible job. The owners basically all revolted against him. They weren't really sure who was going to become the next commissioner. And Selig kind of became the leader among the owners. And so a lot of the owners wanted Selig to take power as the commissioner. Faye Vincent really didn't want to leave the office of commissioner, but when almost none of the owners were backing him up, he really saw no other choice. Faye Vincent then resigned. Uh, that was in, uh, I think, the summer of 92. And then Seelig was sworn in, actually, as interim commissioner, September 9th, 1992, which many of you may remember was the day that Robin Yount got his 3,000th hit. Um, the 3,000 for Robin, iconic Bob yes, Euchre call. For sure. Um, and in attendance, actually, at that game was George W. Bush, future president, and at the time, uh, the controlling owner of the Rangers. That's and right. he was good friends with Bud Selig. George W. Bush was actually, uh, just to, I guess, kind of go off on a tangent, George W. Bush was actually wanted to be the commissioner of baseball. And he was positioning himself a little bit to possibly take that office in 92, 93, because they thought that they would have a, a commissioner by 94. But then when it seemed like they were okay with Selig as interim commissioner, Selig wanted to become full-time commissioner. Bush wasn't sure what to do. The voting for Texas governor was coming up in 94, and Bush decided to throw his hat in the ring and ended up getting elected. Of course, launching a successful political career that uh, ended up with him becoming president. But it is possible, if history changed just slightly, that Bush could have been the commissioner of baseball. Bud Selig could have been the president, maybe? Uh, <laughs> maybe. I don't know if we want that. Uh, but, but anyways, Selig ended up then passing controlling interest of the club to his daughter, Wendy Selig Prieb in 98, I think, until she sold the team to Mark Atanasio in 04, who still owns the club. I think he's in his low to mid-60s, so we could see Atanasio yeah. holding it for a little bit longer. Brewers fans have been very happy with what he's done. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, maybe potentially based off of the previous owners, he had sort of a low bar. Yeah. But he's done a great job, I think, overall. I, I would agree. Does a good job, uh, of course, uh, making a few appearances as well. Brewers on deck, of course. Classic uh, Mark Atanasio, Bob Uecker. <laughs> yeah, because Atanasio is a friendly one at Brewers yeah, on deck. Exactly. Uecker, not always actually the most friendly there. Yeah, yeah, but nonetheless. So there you have it. Brewers owners through the year. Bud Selig. You didn't even really tech. I mean, you kind of did, but you walked it walked it through. Uh, you story told the answer there. Yeah. Uh, Bud Selig in 1970 uh, purchasing the Brewers, then passing it off to his daughter Wendy Selig Pre, and then finally Mark Atanasio, who's 
now owned the team for over 15 years. Uh, kind of kind of crazy. And like you said, we could see Atanasio holding the Brewers for many more years to come. So we will continue to keep you updated on the offseason. And go Brewers! Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We'd appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Brewers Podcast.